Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. When Jesus died, his disciples, his closest followers and friends, were devastated, understandably. And so they gathered together to to mourn and to grieve. And they mourned together the whole next day. And they woke up the day after that expecting to do the same, to gather together to mourn and grieve and wonder what happened. And their plans for the day and for the rest of their lives changed dramatically when one of them discovered that Jesus was, in fact, no longer dead, that he had risen from the dead. And suddenly they were spending their days in worship and in prayer and in thanksgiving. What an incredible story they had to tell. And Jesus commanded them to go out and tell it. In what we now call the Great Commission, Jesus told his followers and friends that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. He said, with that authority, I send you out. Go and make disciples of all nations, of every person, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, telling them everything that I have taught you. And as you go, I will be with you to the very end of the age, in every step for all time. But wait, don't go just yet. He said, I want you to wait around in Jerusalem where all of these life-changing things have occurred. I want you to hang out and I want you to wait because God is gonna send his Holy Spirit. God's presence and power is going to come upon you so that as you go, I go with you. My power goes with you. A very brief, very brief mention of the Christian theology of the Trinity. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe in one God, and there are three persons who make up this one God. God the Father, the Creator, there is the Son, Jesus There is God's Holy Spirit, God's presence and power at work in and around us. Not three separate gods, although frankly, that would be easier to understand, but one God and three persons. And I am not going to try to build a case for that at all today. I'm just laying it out because it's gonna be important for the rest of everything we talk about this morning. God the Father through the saving work of Jesus, through his death and resurrection, sends his spirit, his presence and power to be with us as we follow the commands and the commission of Jesus. And so they wait, and they wait, and they wait for weeks on end until the day of the Jewish festival of Pentecost, Jewish people from all over the area have gathered in Jerusalem from all kinds of different backgrounds and family systems and languages to celebrate Pentecost together. 
And in the meantime, the disciples have, in their waiting, been praying and worshiping together, just, just waiting, because that's what Jesus told them to do, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall on them, whatever that meant. And then on the morning of Pentecost, it finally happened. Holy Spirit falls on them and they spill out of the room where they were praying and worshiping and they tell the story of Jesus to the crowded streets. And to the crowds, they look like they have little flames hanging out above their heads as evidence of the Holy Spirit falling on them. In a couple of weeks, June 5th to be exact, we are going to celebrate and remember this story together. We're to remember that Jesus has commissioned us to go and we're going to remember that he has sent the spirit to be with us and to empower us as we go. We're gonna call it Great Commission Day because the uh, tribe, the denomination that we're a part of, the Christian Missionary Alliance, asks us to have a Great Commission Day every spring where we remember not only that you and I are sent to our neighbors and our coworkers and our family to tell the story of Jesus, the incredible story of death and new life, but also that there are those who have been called out of our culture and into a different culture, called to go around the world to tell this story, often in a different language. We wanna remember that we are praying for and supporting each other every day as we follow Jesus in this community, but that we also wanna be praying and supporting those who are around the world that we would call missionaries or in the CMA, we call them international workers. And we've been partnered with some international workers in Bosnia-Herzegovina for over a decade now. And on the morning of June 5th, we're gonna to get to talk to a couple of our international workers there via Zoom. Uh, Michael and Leah Strand joined the Bosnia team two or three years ago. You'll forgive me if my timeline is a little fuzzy because you may have noticed the last couple years have been a little weird. So we haven't actually met Michael and Leah yet, so I am so excited to get to introduce them to you and to hear from them about God's call on their life. And uh, they spent many years um, in uh, this country following Jesus and having this missionary mindset in their communities around them. Uh, so they're gonna talk to us about that as well. So that morning, we will celebrate and remember that we have all been sent out. We are also called to support those who are going. And for our international workers, that involves some financial support. And so we're gonna take an offering that morning to go toward what we call the Great Commission Fund, which helps support over 700 international workers around the world. So I'm asking all of us to prayerfully over the next couple of weeks, consider what God might be calling us to give, what God might be calling you to give toward the work that he's doing around the world financially. And then that night, the night of June 5th, we're gonna gather in the upper parking lot back here. So we're praying it looks like this outside. And we are going to worship and pray together as the disciples did. We're going to thank God for his presence and power. And we're going to pray for um, his activity in our lives and thank him for the things that he's doing. And it is entirely possible that as we uh, gather to worship and pray together, that fire will fall from heaven and hang out over our heads. If that does not happen, we have decided we will bring our own fire and we'll have some fire pits set up and we will uh, roast some marshmallows and have some s'mores afterward. It could go either way. Either way sounds good. So please join us uh, for that Sunday 
both to remember that we are commissioned and to remember that Jesus has not sent us out alone, but with his presence and power. On that first day that God's spirit was given to the disciples, these followers of Jesus preached and prophesied into these crowded streets. And miraculously, all of these people in the crowd from all of their different backgrounds and languages, they all heard the disciples telling the story of Jesus in their own language. And they were amazed and bewildered and confused and suspicious. And it was all very, very impressive. I remember in high school going to my public high school's performance of the Godspell musical to watch my friends and classmates put on this show. Uh, and if you've never seen Godspell, um, I would recommend that you do just because I remember enjoying it. But let's be honest, high school was quite a bit of time ago, so please don't take that as a theological endorsement. I don't remember. But I remember it was good, and it's kind of a hippie version of the Jesus story. And if you like musicals, it's entertaining. And my friends and classmates did a fantastic job in it. And I remember a couple little snippets of the show, but mostly what I remember is I remember sitting there in that auditorium, envious and jealous of those who were on this stage together. Jealous of the thrill that they got to have of working together to put on something that good and creative. Jealous of the applause and ovation that they received for doing it. And so I would daydream about trying out for a musical and being loved for it. Even though I knew I would never, never do that. And I wouldn't do that because I knew I couldn't sing. Now, how did I know I couldn't sing? For some of us, it's very obvious. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, some of us know. In my case, I had a very distinct experience. When I was in fifth grade, I tried out for the school talent show. Uh, and it was one of those talent shows where nobody gets cut, right? Like, it's like, bring your talent. And as long as it's not offensive, some of you know where this is going already. Uh, as long as it's not offensive, then, then everybody gets to go. And I decided that I, for this talent show, was going to sing the national anthem. Why the national anthem? I have no idea, not a clue. But it's what I decided I was going to sing. And some of you have sang the national anthem and you're like, way to pick the hard one. I, didn't, I don't know. Yeah, okay. So, but that's, uh, that's what I decided. And um, unfortunately for me, some other fifth grade boy also decided that he was going to sing the national anthem in the talent show. And so we both try out along with everybody else, which was super nerve wracking in and of itself. Um, and uh, then in the end, I get cut from this no-cut talent show. <laughs> and I was hurt, and I was angry, and I was disappointed, and I knew I would never do anything like that again. Now, should I have been hurt? No. <laughs> but the hurts in our life don't care very much about should and would and could. <laughs> they just hurt. Now, the teacher didn't even tell me I couldn't sing, she said I wasn't as prepared as the other kid, whatever that meant. But I internalized all of it. And I knew there was no way I was trying for that again. 
Now, whether I can sing or not is still up for some debate, mostly because my wife is really kind and encouraging and because fifth grade hurts can last a long time. So I sat there in high school watching my friends and classmates, envious of the stage and the applause and envious of those brave enough to take the risk. And I can tell you that I still struggle with this to some degree or another. Like a lot of people, I am drawn to the platforms that come with applause and affirmation. And I'm very aware of the irony of saying that to you from a literal stage. I'm also aware that the church in general is not immune from this. We look at the gifts that get platformed and we get jealous or envious of their talents, their athleticism, their skills, whatever it may be. We get jealous, we get envious, or like fifth grade Josh, we decide that we're unimportant, ungifted, and shouldn't bother trying. So as we turn to scripture this morning, I wanna start with this truth, because it really is true, and so it's important to start here. God has gifted you in love for a purpose. God has gifted you in love for a purpose. And by gifted, I don't just mean platform gifts, things that get put on display. A few months ago, we were going through uh, Romans chapter 12, and uh, we read this list of gifts that God gives us. And I I just want to uh, review it together this morning, take another look at it. And as I read through this, just take a second to think about what sticks out to you from these gifts, from this passage. What might God be drawing your attention to? Starting in verse six. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So if speaking hard truth is your gift, speak it out in love for a purpose. If serving others, teaching or encouraging is your gift, then do that loudly or quietly in love for a purpose. We are in a series talking about next steps, next steps for uh, us as an organization and, and how those line up with the steps that we're all called to take as followers of Jesus. For some of us, the next step in this area might be to simply recognize that God has gifted you. Now, whether it's a gift you like or not, different discussion. Whether it's impressive or not, different thing. God has gifted you. For some of us, the next step might be to step into that gift. You know that God has gifted you in some way. And you need to step into it. As my friend Ann told my friend Wendy, if you are gifted and you're not using it, 
you're hurting the church. Our unwillingness to step into the gifts God has given us is not victimless. For us as an organization, our next step is to identify the gifts that are among us, the gifts that are gathered together as the Church of East Hills, and to give you the courage and the skills and the tools to mobilize you into the community to use those gifts, not, not just in this building, but all the more so everywhere God calls you to go. And for all of us, whether whatever our next steps are as we follow after Jesus, they will include the generosity and purposes of God. Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Rome that we just read from, as many of you know, wrote many letters we have preserved. They make up most of the New Testament, different churches that he was corresponding with. Uh, And I wanna look at a similar topic in a different letter. So we'll flip forward a few pages to a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. And I wanna read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting in verse one. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Okay, so let's pause here just to orient ourselves. Okay? Paul planted a church in Corinth. And this church that he planted, after he has moved on to go plant other churches, They're trying to lead themselves and and continue this movement that Paul has begun in their city. And they're going, hey, we have some questions about how this is supposed to work. This is all brand new to us. And Paul's going, it's because it's brand new to everybody. And, And so, Paul, would you help us figure out how this goes? And Paul knows that the people in Corinth were very used to, before they had decided to follow Jesus, most of them were not, uh, following the God of Christ, they were following a whole bunch of different gods. And so it would make sense in their brain to have a different God for different things. And they were very used to some sensationalism in their worship and some theatrics to go with the worship of their idols. And they're going, hey, we know this is a new thing, but it's starting to sound and look a lot like the old thing. And we're used to gods who are good and gods who are bad. And so how do we know what's good and what's not? And like, we know you told us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you're talking about three persons in one God, but, but it wouldn't make a lot more sense to us if it was three different gods and we're very used to that. So can we think about it that way? And what do we do with the fact that uh, people start talking in unknown languages and people are saying some things in, in prophetic nature that we... This all feels kind of like the old stuff. How do we know what's good and what's not? And I do want to mention as we begin into this conversation about spiritual gifts this morning, that many of us have been hurt by this conversation or by conversations about this or how these gifts were used, not by the gifts themselves, but by how people use them or applied them to us or looked down on us because we didn't have the gifting that they had or whatever it might be. Some of us grew up in uh, environments where the kinds of things we're gonna talk about this morning, tongues and prophecy and some of these kinds of uh, more impressive or sensational gifts, they were just part of every Sunday, right? It's just what grandma and Auntie M did every weekend. We were just, that's what we grew up with. 
For some of us, we grew up in really conservative backgrounds where there was no talk of any of that happening and we, we knew about it somewhere across town. We we're like, well, we know we're not going to that church. Uh, or maybe we saw it on Christian television and we were like, well, that looks weird and I don't really know what to do with it, so I'm just gonna pretend it's not happening. Some of us have some experience with it somewhere in the middle and maybe it's been really, really good. Maybe it's been hard. We, we come from a lot of different backgrounds and Paul is trying to bring these folks from a bunch of different backgrounds into some understanding of what this is going to look like for them in their community. So he continues in verse two. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He said, so here's a, a marker, a measurement, right? If, if some sensational things are happening and Jesus is being praised, it's a good indication you can go with that, okay? And we'll, we'll talk more about more metrics as we go through this. And he says, if they're not, if Jesus is being cursed through what's going on, that's a really clear sign that's not from God, okay? So just setting up kind of an initial baseline metric for them. He continues, verse four. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Okay, so this goes back to our doctrine of the Trinity, right? And are we talking about three different gods? He's saying, look, it's all the same spirit. It's the spirit of God at work in our lives. And so the spirit may gift us differently, but uh, he wants their, their brains to switch from being used to there being multiple gods to making this really hard switch that we all have different gifts but they all come from one God. There isn't a God of prophecy and a God of tongues and a God of service and a God of encouragement. There's one God, one spirit, stirring all of this in all of us. And I, I think that's actually a, a helpful place to uh, start our conversation on spiritual gifts as well, is that we are serving the same Lord together. We're serving the same Lord together. And I bring this up because of all the different backgrounds we come from and our different experiences with this. And just the awareness that there are a whole lot of churches in Cowlitz County who would preach different things on this chapter as we go through it. We're serving the same Lord together. So whether you believe spiritual gifts are scary or mandatory, whether you believe your gift is important or not, whether you even go to this church or not, we are serving the same Lord together. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. Paul continues in verse seven. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And now we're starting to get at the purposes of these gifts that God gives us. God has gifted you to help others. God has gifted you to help others. Again, God has gifted you and he has done it in love for the purposes of helping others around you. Specifically, this says to help other Jesus followers, not for the purpose of giving you a platform unless that platform is helpful to others. Not so some people get to show off or be more important, but gifts given to everyone are given for helping one another. 
And Paul's going to go on here to list a few of these spiritual gifts, a few examples is by no means a complete list. It doesn't even fully match the list that we just read in Romans. But everything in both lists is framed, as you read through them, by the purpose of helping others. Not for the purpose of being gifted, but for the purpose of helping others. Okay, so the list starts this way in verse 8. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. And I know I haven't gotten very far in the list yet, but we're going to stop there for just a second. Special knowledge is also sometimes word of knowledge or word of truth. Um, If you've been part of uh, churches that try to make prophecy a very uh, regular practice of their church, sometimes you'll hear that kind of language, word of knowledge or word of truth. Paul is going to list prophecy later in this as well. I know, I'm aware of, and, and you may be aware of as well, that there are churches who in their desire to serve the same Lord will hold something like a conference where they bring in uh, a prophet, somebody who uh, they believe and a number of people agree has the gift of prophecy in their life from God, and they will put them up on a stage and they will predict people's future or they will uh, share some intimate details from that person's past. And people go, wow, that, what an incredible gift. And we can think of this, again, it just says a word of knowledge. That's all it says here. But we, we can get really excited about the impressive things going on in the stage in front of us. I want to point out that there are actually two spiritual gifts listed in this verse. There is the special knowledge, and there is giving wise advice. I'm going to get out a small soapbox here for just a moment. Somewhere along the line, somewhere in our country's history, and I'm not quite sure where, so I like to blame MTV because I can't. Our culture has decided that being a teenager is the epitome, the peak of the human experience. Now, when I say that out loud, we all go, that's ridiculous. I'm not going back there. But all of our media, our advertising, our music is geared toward trying to push us closer and closer to the teenage experience. If we dress like them, we do our makeup like them, we listen to the same music they do, we will be as cool or as influential or whatever as the teenager. Now, no amount of those things is going to help me be as cool as the teenagers, and my 13-year-old is the first one to let me know that. But it is all geared toward this is sort of the peak, and like it's all downhill from there. Like once you hit 20, sorry, y'all, it's all downhill. And we go, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I was looking at my kids last night, and I told them, look, nothing in my teenage experience came close, came close to the joy of being a parent. Like not even close. We know it's ridiculous. And yet, I fear that some of us have inadvertently perhaps bought into this lie. That we believe that the farther we get from being a teenager, the less important or influential we are to the people around us. Look, God has not brought you through the things he's brought you through and taught you the lessons he's taught you for you to sit down and shut up now. 
God has gifted you with wisdom of lessons learned and you may not feel very wise because you had to take six tries to learn that lesson and you had to learn it the hard way every time. Amen, I get it. But you have lessons that God has gifted you with. You have wisdom then that God has gifted you with. And there are people coming up behind you who need your help who need you to share those lessons. If you are a teenager, there are people coming up behind you and they are little and they are cute and they need the lessons that you have experienced. If you are a few decades past being a teenager, there are people coming up behind you who need the lessons you have learned. We need your help. And if you've been gifted by God and you won't use it to help the church, you're hurting the church. We don't need to buy into this lie that your influence goes away. You may not be or feel very impressive, but you can absolutely make a God-shaped impression on the people coming up behind you. We need those with wisdom and hard-learned lessons to share it. Okay, soapbox put away. Verse nine. The same spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, what we would say in today's vernacular, speak in tongues. While another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Uh, you may find this uh, surprising, but the question that I get asked the most in membership interviews, uh, if you would like to be a member of East Hills, it's a fairly straightforward process, couple of steps. One of those steps is an interview with a couple of people from our church leadership so that we can get to know you better and so you can get to know us better. Uh, we try to send out as much information as we can when people fill out that little connection card and say, hey, we were here, awesome, here's a lot of stuff about us. But in these interviews, I still try every time to go, hey, do you have any questions for us? A anything that you would like to know about how we're structured, about what we believe, about our history, our future? The question that I get asked, or have gotten asked more frequently than any other, is what do you believe about tongues? Which speaks to the number of different backgrounds that we come from and that people aren't sure maybe what to do about it or it has been a part of their past and they're not sure if it can be a part of their present here with us. Whatever the reason may be, it gets asked, I think in part because when we send out information, there's nothing in there about our position on any spiritual gifts and we don't really talk about it a lot. It's not something we platform or discuss from up front very often. But since it is the most frequent question I get asked, just to be clear, what we believe about tongues is that that is listed in this book as a gift of spirit to the church. And we believe the Holy Spirit is still alive and active, is working in and amongst us. And what that means is that it is possible I don't know about probable, I don't know about like, it is possible that that is part of what Holy Spirit is gifting people with in our church. Now, for some of you, again, this was a regular part of growing up, you're very used to it. To some of you, that kind of freaks you out. 
both are okay and welcome here. For some of you, you had people pray over you and, and they said, you have, if you have Jesus in your heart, you will pray in this language. And we don't believe that. And some of you thrived in that and some of you were hurt. Some of you, your most intimate times of prayer with God have been when you've been using this unknown language as a prayer language. You're like, I don't even know what I'm praying, but scripture says the Holy Spirit will groan for us when we don't know what to pray. We go, okay, I, I'm praying. I don't know what I'm saying, but boy, do I feel like I'm in an intimate place with God. For others, it's been an entirely different experience. We believe God is at work and is gifting people with all of these things and more. We have never had someone decide or believe that they need to share something in tongues with the congregation or to speak something out over us publicly. If that ever were to happen, we would assume that it is, if it is of God, there would be a person here to interpret it. Somebody would go, I know what they're talking about that God would gift them with that in that moment because of what Paul says here and what Paul says in, 14, in, in chapter 14. I don't know everything about what Paul means here or about how uh, that gets applied in our church, but I wanted you to know where we stand on that issue and really everything I said there could be applied to all of these. We believe God is at work and Holy Spirit is gifting people. So Paul says in verse 11, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The Spirit decides who gets what gift out of love for the purpose of helping others. But because Holy Spirit is active in every life, every life is gifted in some way, and because they're all equally gifted by Holy Spirit, all the gifts are equally important. Paul goes on to compare us, the church, to a body. Jesse mentioned this earlier. It's, it's one of Paul's favorite metaphors. In part, it seems, because some parts of the body are more visible than others, but all parts are important. So he says this, uh, skipping down to verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 12. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some, part of, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Each of you is important to the work of the kingdom, the work that God is doing in us and in the community around us. Your gifts are all important and you are gifted to help one another. And in fact, the gifts are given to us for this purpose, not only of helping one another, but God has gifted us to be united. As the body is united, each part with each other, God has gifted us to be united. And like our human bodies, the church, and I don't just mean East Hills, but all of us who are following Jesus, 
The church is at its peak, its ultimate, when it is working together. And I know that that seems so hard right now as America and the American church is so divided. And we will talk more about that in a few weeks. But the same spirit is gifting all of us who follow Jesus to help each other and to be united together. So he continues in verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. He's not ranking. He's just listing. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And I love this sentence because it implies that the ones we just ran through, the ones listed, are not necessarily the most helpful gifts. Yes, they are the ones that we have platformed in modern Christian culture, but they aren't always the most helpful. Serve, encourage, be kind, be hospitable, be peacemaking. In a world where everybody with a Twitter or a camera has a platform, we could use a lot fewer preachers and a lot more encouragers and peacemakers. So look for what the church is missing. Look for what the world needs. Look at how God has gifted you and do the most helpful thing. I also love this sentence because it reveals, in my mind, our part in this giftedness. God is the one who gives the gifts of the Spirit, but spiritual gifts will make a difference in our lives and the lives of the people around us based on two factors. Spiritual gifts will make a difference based on our desire and our choice. Our desire and our choice. He says to desire the most helpful gifts. We have to desire the gifts and then choose to be helpful and unifying with those. Now, Josh, doesn't that mean we're just removing God from the equation and suddenly it's all about us and the things that we choose and desire to do? No, that's, uh, that's not what I mean at all. What I'm saying is that God is gifting you and God is creating opportunities for you to use those gifts. We're not waiting on him to act. He is acting. He is giving. He is creating opportunities. He is waiting on us very patiently to desire and decide. Do I actually want to be helpful in unifying with my gifts? Am I willing to do the hard work sometimes of acknowledging that I have them Am I willing to choose to use them? Now, there is an end to that verse. It's the last verse of, of Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12. So let's look at it again. 
So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. What is he going to say? Find out next week on... No, I'm just kidding. Um, some of you are like, ooh, I thought he was done. Okay. Uh, a reminder that Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, not a book. We put the chapter and verse stuff in there later. And so if it feels funky in how it got laid out, that's not Paul's fault. That's, I don't know, some monk later. It was Bartimaeus. Or I don't know. We'll blame that guy. Uh, and, and so... Paul is just transitioning into his next topic, and we're going to head into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is actually one of the most famous chapters in our uh, modern culture because it shows up a lot at weddings. It shows up cross-stitched on people's walls. It has some beautiful things to say. It is known as the chapter of love. It's very romantic and mushy. Actually, it's not any of those things, but we like to talk about it like it is, and we use it in weddings like it is. Paul immediately goes into talking about love as part of his conversation on spiritual gifts. There are actually three places, three different letters, where Paul writes about spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the one we read in Romans chapter 12, this one in 1 Corinthians 12, and then there's another one in the letter to the Ephesians. And there's not a lot of overlap in the actual list of the gifts. There's some, there's a whole lot of differences, and they're not any of them a complete list for sure. But there are three things that are true every time Paul writes about the gifts of the Spirit. They are framed as helping others. He always brings up the body of Christ and being united together. And he always brings up love. Every single time, it leads into how we are going to love others. So that's what he does here. Very next verse is Corinthians 13, verse one. If I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. In other words, tongues is, okay, if I could do that, that's impressive but it's not love, I'm just clanging. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Spiritual gifts without love are just clanging symbols. Spiritual gifts without serious love are simply self-promotion. Spiritual gifts without serious love are simply self-promotion. And this is the stuff that some of us have been hurt by. When people who are gifted by God wield those gifts like weapons of superiority, and then Paul goes on now to lay out then a definition of love just so that we're clear on what it's going to look like if we are using the gifts of the Spirit God has given us, what it has to look like. So next time you hear this at a wedding, it is great for weddings. All of these things are true about marriages. They are also true for every person who's been gifted by God and how we use those gifts in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, and in our church. Verse four, love is patient 
and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. In other words, if you have a gift, use it. If, if you're gifted with wisdom, use it. But if your wisdom isn't kind and just and encouraging and hopeful and so on, then it is not what God is calling you to do. It may be the gift of God, but it is not done in the ways of God and so does not honor, in fact, dishonors the gift giver. Now, this list here in 1 Corinthians reminds me of a different list of Paul in yet another letter, the letter to the Galatians. And it's a character list as well, uh, one we refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about gifts of the Spirit, but Paul also lists the fruit or the results of the work of the Spirit. So in, in other words, if you're using the gifts of the Spirit, but it doesn't bear these things, these characteristics, then it's not what God is calling you to do. You're, you're likely falling into the traps of self-promotion. So this is the last scripture, and then I'll, I'll wrap up. As I, as I read this, I want to invite you to imagine with me that these are words that describe our church. That is certainly true to some degree. But that as we become who God is calling us to be, who Christ is forming us into, that when people think of you and your life and your family, our church, when people describe who we are, that this would be the words they would use to describe us. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is the kind of people we want to be. This is the kind of people we have to be because this is the kind of people Christ is forming us into. See, the fruit of the Spirit is the goal. The fruit of the Spirit is the goal, not the gifts of the Spirit, not to be a gifted person or to have some platform, but the fruit of the Spirit is the goal. That we would be people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit of the goal is the goal. The gifts of the Spirit are how God gets us there together. The gifts of the Spirit are how God is going to get all of us there. He is forming each of us. His Spirit is at work not just to empower us, but also to form us. And as if he forms each of us, the gifts of the Spirit are what he uses as we help and we unify and we love one another to form us into this list. And God has provided all we need to become this. He is simply waiting patiently for us to desire 
and choose. So I want to pray for our desires and our choices. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray that you would stir in us a desire to be helpful to one another, a desire to be gifted by you, a desire to unite with others, a desire to love others well. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to step into the gifts you have given us. That you would give us the courage to look in the mirror and go, okay, God, how have you gifted me? What lessons have you taught me? What skills, what, what maybe supernatural abilities have you given me, God? Would you give me the courage to actually use them? To find someone that I could help with my story. To find somebody I could walk alongside and love well. God, would you open our eyes to the opportunities you're given us, to the gifts you've given us, to the people around us in need of more of you in their lives. Father, it's certainly true of us. We are in need of more of you. I thank you for your generosity, and I, I ask that you would give more. You would give us your gifts. You would give us opportunities. And that we would be able to demonstrate your love to one another in the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.